0: Welcome to Dispatch In-Depth, where we give you the stories behind the science of emergency dispatch. This is an official podcast of the International Academies of Emergency Dispatch, the world's leading authority in dispatch science. I'm your host, Becca Barris, writer and copy editor for the Journal of Emergency Dispatch. In each episode, we'll be bringing you stories of the fascinating people who work in this area. We'll give you their backstory, including how they got there, what they're working on, and what drew them to the field. These are people who represent the cutting edge in emergency dispatch, and I hope you'll join us to hear more about them. Welcome to Dispatch In-Depth. Today we're talking about common mistakes made when handling police calls— To give us her perspective and expertise, we have Angela Huddle, a member of the IED's Police Council of Standards. Angela has over 27 years in the 911 industry, during which time she's been a 911 call taker, police dispatcher, training coordinator and instructor of Q, CPR, CTO and a dispatch academy, which she created with the help of her team. Now working as an independent contractor with IED and PDC, she's hoping to make positive changes in all of the centers she's visited through the years, Welcome, Angela.
1: Thank you. Good to be here.
0: It's really great to have you. We don't often talk about police topics, so I'm really glad that you were willing to set aside time to chat with us today.
1: Thank you very much. I'm glad to hear that. I'm I'm hearing more and more about police lately, so it's exciting.
0: So why don't you tell us a little bit about your career path? How did you end up in police dispatching specifically?
1: So I started out as a call taker in a very busy 911 center just outside of Washington, D.C., and from there, the natural progression was to move on to dispatch and then become a CTO and move into the training section. From there, we implemented the protocols and became ACE within three years in all three disciplines, so I'm super proud of them for that. And from there, I just kind of wanted to spread the word and moved on to PDC so that I could speak more globally, talk to more agencies and and pass on what I've learned.
0: That's really cool. Can you tell me a little bit more about the center you worked at for so long?
1: Prince George's County. I worked there for 23 years, a very big center. They have, when I left A little over five years ago, they were taking in 1.7 million calls a year with about 150 dispatchers and call takers.
0: That is a really, really, really big center. And Prince George's County dispatches for all three disciplines, right?
1: They do. They're trained in all three. They are ace in all three. I am super proud of them and I still work with them as much as I can.
0: That's really impressive. There are not that many triple aces in the world. I think the most recent one was like number 17 or something. That is nothing to sneeze at. And to get ace within three years of implementation is fully crazy. People listening who haven't gone through the process or don't really know anything about accreditation. It is so much work. And Angela, you were involved in that, right?
1: I was very involved in it. We could not have done it, obviously, without the call takers and the dispatchers. But we also had a lot of support from management, which was very helpful in the overall process. But we had a strong team. And I always say that Prince George's County doesn't always do things the easy way, but we get it done. So doing all three at once was definitely an undertaking. But with the help of the whole team, we were able to get it accomplished.
0: Since the center dispatched for all three disciplines, how did you get interested in police dispatch specifically? Was it something you were assigned to when you were hired?
1: No. So if you don't have any experience, you come into Prince George's County, you start out as a call taker. That's kind of the entry level and from training there, then you can move on to dispatch and then on to other areas within the center. So most of the people that move into fire and EMS had some kind of paramedic training or, Mm. you know, were volunteers at firehouses and things like that. And I didn't come from a public safety world. So my progression was to move into police, which honestly was really more my pace. It was it's very fast paced there at that center. It's not unheard of. Actually, it's every day to have, you know, 50 officers to one dispatcher. I loved it. It's it's something that I really enjoyed doing.
0: Let's talk about training. Let's talk about your instructing and your queue experience, because you have that background of being a dispatcher for police and 50 officers to one dispatcher is, again, a lot. It's it's a lot. It's a lot of situations to judge. Let's talk about some of the most common mistakes made by new or even seasoned police dispatchers when taking police calls.
1: So I find that being a a Q... Is really it's the minor stuff mm. they fight the minor things things like leading questions which are scored as inappropriate clarifiers and when you're doing it that way it's a minor it's literally a minor deviation it's the smallest deviation you can get it's cultural things so saying things starting your questions with do you know or can you tell me rather than just asking a question which again not They're not real big things. I find that the bigger things like, you know, choosing chief complaint and stuff like that, usually they're pretty good at that stuff. It's always the minor things that seem to trip people up.
0: Yeah, and one of the things you said earlier was people not asking questions because they think they already know the answer. So the question, are you or anyone else in danger right now? It might not seem like a situation where they're in danger, but you still have to ask.
1: Yeah, if it hasn't been explicitly stated, then go ahead and ask. I think that we forget that the protocols are there to help us. They're not there to hinder. And if that question is there and you really don't know for sure, don't assume. Go ahead and ask it. And that way you're covered. And we've made sure that we've gotten the best information for our caller
0: and for the responders. Right. So sometimes when dispatchers use inappropriate clarifiers or, you know, leading questions, they're kind of asking the questions again, as a time filler, they don't want that dead air. They don't want the caller to think they're not doing anything while they're typing up the answers. How do you train on that? How do you get people away from doing that?
1: You said it perfectly. It's it's a time filler. I think the majority of the time we hear those leading questions. It's not because they don't know the answer. It's because they know the answer and they're filling that time while they're processing what they're going to do next. I think the best way to get through to somebody Or to to explain to somebody is, you know, if the answer has already been given, you don't have to ask that question again. Just enter the information and move on to the next one. And it will make your call flow so much easier.
0: We recently got a complaint on our IED Facebook page where a person... Typed in a comment that said, I don't understand why people are asking all these questions. Like I called in and I had an emergency, but the person wasn't even listening that, you know, my house was on fire or whatever. They just wanted to ask all these unnecessary questions. And it's not a problem with just the callers either. A lot of dispatchers, too, when they start doing police or medical or fire. But it especially seems to be a problem with police. They have a real problem with, you know, the The concept of asking all these questions, how do you suggest that dispatchers handle frustration like that from callers or, you know, even from themselves or coworkers?
1: The best thing is to reassure them that the the questions are we're just obtaining information for those responders. We're trying to get the best information to the responders and to make sure our caller is safe and then move right into the next question. Don't engage in arguments. Just reassure them
0: and move on. That makes sense, right? Give them a reason and then keep it moving. It's a lot easier said than done, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it gets easier with practice. It does. So we talked about how dispatchers themselves can get frustrated with asking questions, especially in police calls. And there is resistance to adopting the police protocols in centers, even in centers that use medical or fire. Why do you think there's such resistance to that?
1: Well, there's actually two things here. So really in in the police world, we have a lot more latitude in being able to turn off some of the questions. And as we grow we are finding that we're coming across more and more of those where we've been able to we call them configurable questions where we've been able to configure them to turn off if it works for your agency great leave it on if it doesn't turn it off but that's obviously going to be up to administration and your dispatch review committees and dispatch steering committees right that said i think the biggest resistance i come across at least is that it takes longer to get balls out and i think what's happening isn't so much that it it i'm not gonna lie it probably takes a little longer on the call than it would prior to having the protocols however most of the time at least from what i what i see is that they're actually getting dispatched sooner Hmm. in the past prior to the protocols they were used to getting everything at once so it probably took longer for them to actually get that information but now once they go to protocols They get it sooner, but they don't have all of the information yet because we're getting out the important information, you know, the location, what's happening and are there weapons, right? And then we dispatch it and then we start getting descriptions and things like that. And so I know that there's been some frustrations over that. So we've implemented the CAD tool and hopefully we'll be moving to opening up that CAD tool so that we're using it even more often. And hopefully that'll start helping with the perceived time to dispatch.
0: Can you tell us a little bit more about the Cade tool?
1: Yeah, so the Cade tool is called, let's see, it stands for Critical Apprehension Description Essentials. So it's it's basically getting your description essentials on those really important calls, those high priority low acuity calls, the ones we don't get so often, you know, the robberies and the shootings and and things like that. So with Cade, we can get that description right away even before the send point. And that's the key is to get them on the way, even while we're gathering that information.
0: Right. So it is this faster response time. It just doesn't feel the same as it used to. Mm hmm. And I hadn't even thought about all the configurable questions in police dispatch because you're right. There are a lot compared to, you know, medical and fire Mm -hmm. just based on jurisdiction, based on the size of the center, based on the area you're serving. And that's a huge selling point for police dispatch. The protocols are living, right? So we're always updating them. We have an update coming to police dispatch now, actually, which is version seven.
1: It's version seven. Yeah
0: yeah virgin 7 so you know the protocols are living they're always being updated and then they're also configurable to your area so like you know you're not going into a rural center busting down the doors being like all right you have to do everything like this and you have to ask all these questions even if they're not relevant in the area and we're not going to do that because that doesn't make sense the protocol is for the people it's for the community it's for the dispatchers it's for the center it's for the responders and if something isn't working for them If it's a configurable question, the local authorities can turn it off or turn it on. And then if there's another problem, they can submit a PFC or a proposal for change.
1: Absolutely. And that's exactly what we want them to do. So we see and work with the protocols every day, but I don't have my hands on the protocols to take calls anymore like I used to. So we want to hear from the users. We want to hear from the people that are answering the calls every day, that there's been thousands of changes, even since I started with the protocols. And I want to see more changes. And we need to get that from our users.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Because like you said, they're using them day in and day out, and they're the most familiar with it. So Angela, what is one thing you would like listeners to take away from this episode?
1: I'm hoping that most of our listeners are the actual users. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I always want to talk to the admin as well, but the users are the ones that, you know, they're, they're the ones that are on the protocols every day. So I want everyone to know that the protocols are there to help you. They're there to help the responders, to help the callers, to help the call takers. And it's a liability thing you know they're we're trying to make things as easy for you as possible and if something can be improved be a part of that process to get to the proposal for change on the academy's website is really easy you can go right on the emergencydispatch.org website and there are quick links in the top right corner And you go right in there and there's proposal for change and it's just as easy as filling out a form. I would run it through your dispatch review committee and dispatch steering committees before you send them in just to make sure that everything is valid in there. We don't just want to hear complaints, we want to hear
0: solutions,
1: but we do want to make things better and the best way for us to do that is with help from the users
0: and we're going to make it even easier for you to access the proposal for change form i will put a link in the show notes so wherever you're listening to this episode go to the description and there should be a link in that description and i i do want to rehighlight your point angela that you should run it through your dispatch steering committee and dispatch review Committee, DRC, DSC, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just so if there's some principle that you're missing, they can be like, oh, well, actually, if you do it like this, or this question or this aspect is important for this reason. And then also, if you do end up sending it to the academy, to the police council of standards, and it's something we have considered and we know for sure it won't work, we will email you back and we'll tell you that.
1: We really have gotten so much better about that. I remember when I first started entering the proposals for change and then not hearing about them for years. And then all of a sudden there'd be this change that I asked for two years ago. But no, it's it's not like that at all anymore. We do respond to all of them.
0: For sure. Well, Angela, thank you so much for talking with us today. It was really good to go over some police principles and talk about those because I feel like we don't do that enough. Again, there's a lot of emphasis on medical, especially because it was, you know, the first it's the eldest trial in the protocols, if you will. But police is so important. It is so unbelievably important. And I hope to have you back on the podcast.
1: Well, thank you very much for having me. And I would love to come back. The more we can talk about police and, you know, and get the word out there, the better. You got to think those centers that do all three. Your police is your highest call volume. So, yeah, we definitely need to address it more.
0: Absolutely. And if you're listening to this and thinking, hey, I have something to talk about that's related to police or fire or medical or even ECNS, which is the emergency nurse communication system, go ahead and email us at DispatchInDepth at EmergencyDispatch.org. I would love to hear from you if you have suggestions for guests or topics. That would be delightful. And Angela, I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Dispatch In Depth. Remember, it really helps if you rate and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Dispatch in Depth is hosted by me, Becca Barris. I'm also the technical director and producer, and Matthew Maiko is the executive producer.